Thanks for joining us today. This is Expository Insights with Pastor Lyle Wall. Today we are in Chapter 8 in John's Gospel and thinking about the question, Does Jesus light up your life? The central truth is that your belief determines your destiny. Let's explore that now. In 1977, Debbie Boone's first solo recording was released, You Light Up My Life. It was the biggest hit of the year, of the 70s. I realize that may sound like ancient history to some of us, and others may have never heard of the song, let alone heard it. The romantic song opens, So many nights I sat by my window waiting for someone to sing me his song. So many dreams I kept deep inside me alone in the dark. Now you've come along, and you light up my life. You give me hope to carry on. You light up my days and fill my nights with song. Today, as we come to chapter 8 in John's Gospel, I want to pose an important question, borrowing from that song title and shifting the focus. Does Jesus light up your life. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, this is a valid and important question. In this section, Jesus stood up in the temple courts and said, I am the light of the world. This is the second of Jesus' seven I am statements recorded in John's Gospel. While this imagery of light may not be familiar to some people today, It was not new to those gathered around. They knew it well. They, like many of us, had memorized Psalm 119, verse 105, in which they proclaimed to God, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. They had sung the opening words of Psalm 27, as some of us have. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? They knew Isaiah's prophecy, which told them that God's servant, the Messiah, Jesus, would be a light of the nations, so that his salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Jesus' proclamation that he is the light in and of itself would make a dramatic impact on all who listened whether they believed him or not. But it was not the words alone that Jesus used to make an impact. There was his timing for this. The events follow from verse 52 in chapter 7 and to the end of the Feast of Booths. As his words about giving people living water were tied to the events of the festival to make an impact, so were his words about being light. You see, Each night of the festival, large lampstands were brought into the temple courts. The place was blazing with light. But not on the last night. Not on this night, when Jesus spoke in the temple area, declaring that he is the light of the world. Jesus' point was dramatic. He is the light not only of the temple courts, of Jerusalem, of that day, of the Jewish people, but of the whole world. And so the question, does Jesus light up your life? 
What is Jesus driving at? What does this involve? Let's examine that today. The central truth to keep in focus is that your belief determines your destiny. We begin by looking at the options Jesus presents. He points them out in verse 12. I am the light of the world. The one who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He speaks of, he contrasts, darkness and light. He tells us everyone is walking, living, either in darkness or light. What is he driving at? Jesus is speaking about our deepest, most significant nature, our spiritual being, our spiritual life. Our condition of being in darkness or light spiritually impacts every part of who we are and what we do. These are the only two options. When it comes to spiritual life, it is either darkness or light. There are no shades of gray. We start with the dark, living in the dark. Living in the dark refers to living without God, His truth, fellowship, living in spiritual darkness, living without His light. Spiritual darkness cripples us. God designed people to live in His light, to have a close relationship with Him. That is the only way to fulfill our purpose to be and feel truly fulfilled. When our first parents sinned, that sin broke the relationship they had with God, who is holy, and plunged them and all of their descendants, including us, into spiritual darkness. Living apart from God, without God, is being in the darkness of living without Him, His truth, hope, His light. That is our condition by birth, which is confirmed by what we do and what we do not do. God tells us through the prophet Isaiah that the Messiah would open blind eyes, bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. Being blind, imprisoned in spiritual darkness. While we can accomplish many things on our own, on our own we live in the dark spiritually, without the final answers, without certain hope of God. There are inevitable, universal results of living in this darkness. We are in, we live in the darkness of being separated from God, losing the battle with sin. As we live, so then we will die. Jesus, speaking to the religious leaders, said, verse 21, I am going away, and you will look for me, and will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. Verse 24, I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. When Jesus said, unless you believe I am, he was not talking about believing he exists. He was right there in front of them. 
he was making another claim to being God, identifying himself as the I Am. When Moses asked God what he should say to Israel when they asked him who had commissioned, had sent him to lead them out of slavery in Egypt, what his name was, God said to tell them, I am who I am, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. God's personal name indicating in part his eternal self-existence, that he is the only God who really exists. Later in the chapter, Jesus makes this crystal clear, and the religious leaders understood what he meant. Verse 58, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and left the temple grounds. Make no mistake here. Those who live and die in darkness, in their sin, will be separated from God forever. In the opening verses of chapter 8, we find some people who were religious and considered good, the examples to follow, and one who was not. I will leave the details of the discussion on the text of chapter 7, verse 53, through verse 11 in chapter 8 for another time. Most of the oldest manuscripts do not include this section, but there is good evidence that the account here in the opening of chapter 8 is indeed authentic, and parts of it show up in other places here in John and in Luke. Let's start with those who were very religious and considered to be great examples to follow. The Scribes and Pharisees they brought a woman to Jesus who had been caught in the act of adultery, and said, verse 4, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? At first glance, it may seem like an open and shut case, but it was far from that. First, Religious opinions on this at that time varied greatly, and the death penalty for adultery was very rare. Verse 6 points us to their true motive, as John explains. Now they were saying this to test him, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. They were trying to trap Jesus. You see, their plan was that if he said, stone her, they would accuse him of violating Roman law. If he said, do not stone her, they would accuse him of breaking God's law. This was carefully planned. They thought they had sprung a trap from which Jesus could not escape. Their perverse motives are easy to see. Their own rules stated that if you suspected a couple was engaging in adultery, you would have to clearly announce your presence, pretty much eliminating the possibility of catching people in the act. And yet this woman, we are told, was caught in the act. Secondly, if she was caught in the act, where was the man? 
this case has all the marks of a setup. To them, this woman was only a pawn in their game of trying to trap, to discredit Jesus, and to have a pretext for demanding that he be put to death. These very religious men, who people looked up to as examples, were living in the dark. Then let's consider this unnamed woman. Jesus' final words to her, verse 11, From now on, do not sin any longer. She, too, was living in the dark. Now we turn to living in the light. Let's go back to verse 12, where Jesus said, I am the light of the world. The one who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the light of the world. He enables us to see accurately and fully. This is a familiar theme in John's Gospel, as we see it in chapters 1, 3, 8, 9, 11, and 12. Jesus is not just one who has light, but he is the light. He is the one who puts everything in focus, ourselves, God, our relationships, things around us, time, and eternity. Those who follow him will have the light of life. First of all, and most importantly, those who follow him will have Jesus with them all the time, everywhere they go, in every situation. Then they will have spiritual light, being able to see and experience God, his truth, and love. But Jesus also lights up all of life, of each and every aspect of our lives. And it is not just now, or now and then, but always. It is a part of who we now are, of who and what he has recreated us to be if we believe in him. It is not an instant, total awareness of everything, but a process of looking to Jesus and then seeing things in focus, one situation, area, or step at a time. As the Apostle Paul wrote, We all, with unveiled faces, looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. An ongoing process of growth for the rest of our time on earth. Years ago, a farmer told his young son to go to the barn and get a tool he left there. His son was afraid. It was evening and it was dark. He couldn't even see the barn from there. The father lit a lantern which gave a circle of light around them. He said to his son, Take the lantern and walk to the edge of the light. Soon the boy was past the old stump in the yard, then the fence, and at last to the barn. By walking to the edge of the light, he made it safely to the barn, got the tool, and back. Keep walking to the edge of the light. Keep walking in the light. Think about the results of coming to the light, then walking or living in the light. 
we have spiritual life and light now. In chapter 12, verse 36, Jesus tells us, when we believe in the light, in him, we will become sons of light. The Apostle Paul speaks in the same way in Ephesians chapter 5, when he refers to believers as children of light. Coming to the light also brings us into a forever relationship with Jesus and God the Father as he links knowing him and knowing God the Father. Verse 19, You know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. To live forever in the light and forever with God. These are the two options which everyone has. Continue to live in the dark or to live in the light. Living in the dark is our natural condition. Living in the light is a supernatural condition that comes when we place our faith in Jesus. That brings us to the next vital truth, the way to living in the light. The way out of our darkness, of separation from God and sin, to the light of life forever with Him. Your belief determines your destiny. First, we need to know and accept that the only source of light is Jesus. In verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. This is one of his seven great I am statements in the gospel. In chapter 6, we saw the first, I am the bread of life. As I said earlier, when Jesus used the phrase, I am, he did so with direct and specific meaning. It is tied to God identifying himself as, I am that I am, as the eternal, self-existent God. Jesus is not one light of several or many, but the source, the only source of light. He is God eternal, creator of light and all that is. He is the only source. Moving ahead to chapter 14, he declared, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Living in the darkness, unable to see spiritual things the way they really are, people keep trying their own ways to make sense of things, to find peace, to find God, even if we do not realize that it is God that we are seeking. Why is that so? Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 tells us, God has set eternity in our hearts. God created us with an awareness of, a longing and seeking for something more than ourselves, more than this passing world. There is more than this life, more than the here and now. God's intent in creating us this way is so that we will search for Him. There are many philosophies and religions which have good elements. Some even borrow elements from Christianity. But being close doesn't count. Six-year-old Angie came home from school one day with a blue ribbon. 
She told her mom she wanted for a natural history quiz. Her mom asked, what was the question? Angie said, how many legs does a giraffe have? And I said, three. Her mom quickly said, but a giraffe has four legs. Angie explained, I suppose so, but I was the closest of anybody in the class. When it comes to living in the light, being close does not count. Jesus is the only source. Going beyond knowing and accepting, the only means to the light is believing in Jesus. Remember, your belief determines your destiny. The Pharisees had their own way. They tried to sidetrack Jesus with questions on the legality or acceptability of his witness and answering his statements about the Father with, Where is your Father? All in attempting to avoid his message. Their way was based on the truth of the Old Testament, but they took God-given, God-based faith and it turned it into a man-made religion of good, righteous works, of earning God's acceptance by keeping the law and their mountains of regulations. Things haven't changed, have they? It is popular to say that whatever you believe, it is important that you are sincere, really believe it. It's the all roads lead to Rome thinking. Then there are those who are religious, but use religion as a substitute for a relationship with God. Some people pull hope and assurance, love and grace, mercy and comfort from the Bible, but ignore the truth and demands that are not so comfortable. Or some go to church, try to keep the commands of God, to live as they should, to work and volunteer for good things and causes, but have not come to a true, life-changing forever belief in Jesus. What does it mean to really believe in Jesus? It is more than agreeing with the facts of the Bible. There is a 430-meter or 410-foot-long glass-bottom bridge in China that spans a canyon 300 meters or 984 feet deep. It also has the world's largest bungee jump at 260 meters or 853 feet. Just get your feet strapped in and jump. I can accept the fact that the bungee cord will not snap or come loose if I take a leap attached to it. I can accept the fact that it is set up so it won't stretch to the point of me crashing into the ground below. But, until I am willing to, and actually take the step of getting strapped in and jumping, I have not fully believed. You see, I can agree that God exists, that he is a personal God, not an abstract force, that Jesus Christ is God the Son, that I have sinned, that Jesus is the Savior, and still not truly believe. God tells us through James, you believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. 
At the end of this section we read, As Jesus said these things, many came to believe in him. John doesn't comment on the extent of, the kind of belief. Some undoubtedly believed only on the surface, others truly. Those who truly believed experienced the reality of being called out of darkness into God's marvelous light. To truly believe is to trust, to put your confidence in Jesus, to act, to accept him as the one to take your sins upon himself, to come into your life and have his rightful place as God in your life. Again, remember Jesus' words from chapter 14. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Your belief determines your destiny. For some of us who have acted, have placed our faith in Jesus, this may sound like old news, which is good for others. But our opening question applies to believers as well as those who have not yet come to Jesus. Does Jesus light up your life? If you have your Bible, you can turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. First of all, know that these statements are directed to believers, those who have come to the light. With that understanding, let's begin at verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But sexual immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be mentioned among you, as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness or foolish talk or vulgar joking, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty, that no sexually immoral or impure or greedy person, which amounts to an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Walk, that is, live, keep on thinking, speaking and acting as children of light. If you know Jesus as your Savior, and he does not light up your life in the circumstances and challenges you face, God says, walk as a child of light. That may mean to deal fully with any and all known sin you have not dealt with up to this point. Or to turn your eyes on Jesus, to focus on him, submit to his lordship, that is, his being on the throne of your heart, all your desires, plans, thoughts, and actions. Let God speak to you as you spend time in the Bible and act on what he shows you. Some of us may not yet have come to the light. Your belief determines your destiny. Excuses are easy and plentiful. An assistant high school principal compiled a list of his favorite excuses some from parents, others from students. Some were misstatements, others were interesting fabrications. The first, 
My son is under the doctor's care and should not take physical education today. Please execute him. Please excuse Mary for being absent. She was sick and I had her shot. Jane could not come to school today because she was bothered by very close veins. And then this one. Please excuse Fred for being. It was his father's fault. Yes, excuses are easy and plentiful and may be humorous. But when you stand before God in the day of judgment, no excuses will be humorous and none will be allowed. Not one. Isn't it time to set aside the excuses and come to the light? To turn your eyes on Jesus and, as the Apostle Paul described it, be rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of God's beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Thank God that he sent Jesus, God the Son, who is the light of the world, into this world to pay for your sins. Answer the question, does Jesus light up my life? Turn your eyes, your focus on Jesus, the light. Whether you are a believer and are not walking as you should be as a child of the light, or one who has never come to Jesus, believe and act. Tell God all about it. Then tell someone else about your decision or talk with someone about your questions today. Bow with me in prayer. God, our loving, gracious, giving Father, thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to give us the truth, give us light to see you, give his life to pay the penalty for our sins, give us eternal life with you. Father, work in our hearts now and those who do not know you, to see, believe, act today. To come to you admitting their sin, that they cannot atone for it, but to trust Jesus as their Savior and be cleansed of their sin and have eternal life. In those who do know you, to evaluate where we are in relationship to you now to clear up any outstanding disobedience, failure to trust you, sin, and then to think, speak, and act as children of light. We pray in the name of our wonderful Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen.